Welcome to the Nix, where we talk about pop culture until we can't stand it anymore, and we nix it. I'm Fanny Darling. And I am Justin Hartung. As always, a quick warning, there might be spoilers for anything we talk about on this podcast, but we're going to do our best to warn you that they're coming. This week, we're wrapping up our discussion of Margaret Atwood's The Testaments, and also sharing our thoughts on Steven Soderbergh's The Laundromat, which somehow manages to wring laughs out of insurance scams. All right, we're going to start the show off with a plea to rate and review us, so please do that wherever you listen to our podcast. We'd also like to really apologize to Lacey uh, Gorenson and Lacey Chabert. We mixed you up. Lacey Gorenson, you are on The Connors. Lacey Chabert, you were on Party of Five and in Mean Girls. Sorry about that. See, we say dumb stuff, so come at us and let us know when we do it. We'll take that. We will. It, it makes us feel more and less dumb. What did you do in pop culture, Justin? I finished Big Mouth season three. I think I talked about watching the first episode or two, but I, as I tend to do with that show, just could not stop and watched all, uh, I believe it is 11 episodes in the space of about 12 hours. Um, <laughs> there are many shows I have trouble watching. That is apparently not one of them. It is still fun. I still enjoy it. I do think this season may be stumbled a little bit they they do a musical episode which turns out to be a musical adaptation of the michael douglas demi moore movie uh disclosure from the 80s where she sexually assaults him and it's a creepy teacher basically you know asking well what happens when women rape men and it's essentially a parody of terrible men who uh think that a movie like that has value and he forces the kids to do this um, musical version of it it is pretty funny there are some great big swings in it there's a whole um kind of retro funny 30s episode where all the hormone monsters are kind of you know wearing funny mustaches and being very muppety um there is uh, a reference at one point to um Avatar the Airbender, which is very, 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 very crude, and I don't even want to repeat the joke, um, but I love that the show also has an affinity with that kind of thing. Um, I like a lot about the show. I still think it's very kind-hearted. I think it really does a great service to its kind of queer character. It's queer character. There's one. Um, and it's one black character who's played by a white lady, Jenny Slate. Um, what? <laughs> there's more than one queer character, though, isn't there? I mean, there's uh, a yeah, gay no, man. No, this and a, now there's and two. A, <laughs> well, and Ali Wong's character right. is also queer. Right. So that's so three, right? You no, said no. Jenny Slate. No, Jenny Slate's character isn't queer. Oh, okay. Yeah. So two. Um, All right. Yeah. Um, okay. But it's it's a pretty open-hearted show for, uh, you know, whatever. Nick Kroll's a... I assume a straight guy from like whatever. He's like, very um, so I, I, I love that this show is trying. Its Pity hardest. me, Nick Kroll is straight. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you get Andrew Scott, I get Nick Kroll. This All right, is... All right. fair enough. <laughs> um, I continue to really like um, uh, John Mulaney. I think does great work in this show. Um, I also really, really like. Um, Maya Rudolph doing the hormone monstrous. She just has a way with dialogue that is just a joy to watch. And especially, I just almost feel like she's made for 
you know, cartoon voicing. She is just a giant cartoon. And so she works perfectly. Also, uh, shout out to Kristen Wiig doing continued great work as Jesse's vagina. Um, she is so... <laughs> Okay, those are not words I expected you to say. I got to be honest. And there's a whole plot this episode, this season, where basically Jesse's vagina and her hor- and Jesse's hormone monstrous team up to teach her how to treat it right, and it is brilliant and funny. Um, it's good stuff. Um, I also went to Hardly Strictly Bluegrass, uh, which Fanny and I did. I think the last couple years together, but Fanny wisely opted out this year. It, I don't have a clear backpack, and I wanted a beer. It was uh, hardly strictly is a San Francisco tradition. It has been going for years. This year, there were all these extra security measures, which nobody really paid all that much attention to, but it meant that nobody was selling beer there, which is a problem. So everybody had to kind of smuggle in their own, own beer, which we did not do. I went with my friend Aaron. Hello, Aaron. It was so fun to see you. Uh, we did manage to make it through two shows. Uh, Tank and the Bangas um, are a fantastic. Well, let me actually start with Margot Price. I saw Margot Price, who's a country singer, um, who's sort of super, uh, you know, got great politics and is, uh, you know, obviously very queer friendly. And uh, well, obviously, she is very queer friendly. And she sings a lot about kind of hypocrisy in America. She's sort of like a, you know, big anti-country star the capital a it's like a little corny like she did a janice joplin cover which was like okay that's a little on the nose um but uh she's got a lovely voice and her show is great uh the show that really i think caught both of us by surprise was tank and the bangers they're a band i believe from new orleans uh i don't know even how to describe the energy of this i Went um, a few years ago with Fanny and my mother to go see uh, Big Fria uh, doing Bounce. Uh, it was all electronic music. I, it was a little ter- it terrified my mother. I think we talked about it on the podcast. It's a truly wonderful way. Yeah, you can go back and listen to that. Uh, this was what I was hoping that show would have been a little more like. This is a New Orleans kind of funk, soul, party band. Um you know, just very open and inclusive and kind of queer and fun, but, uh, you know, with great live instrumentation. It's a lot of, like, horns. Um, the lead singer is just this amazing kind of, I don't know, just this, uh, I'm talking about cartoon characters. She's just this huge presence and just carried in this super huge crowd at hardly strictly she just cut right through everything and she was so commanding she's kind of tiny but just has this amazing presence whereas these kind of dr susie outfits but it's just uh, a real presence and she tells these stories in her songs which are really fun so i wanted to play a little bit of uh, uh her latest album tang and the manga's latest album uh the song is called nice things let's take a listen
Tang and the Bangers. The album is Green Balloon, uh, which came out, I believe, earlier this year. The song is Nice Things. You can tell just the way she switches between voices, singing and rapping, and uh, she is just a powerhouse of energy and charisma. So that was a lot of fun. Um, should we talk a little bit about something we both did? Sure. We it was a thing. originally planned on this podcast to talk about In the Tall Grass, uh, the Stephen King, Joe Hill uh, novella, which had been turned into a Netflix movie uh, directed by, I forget his name, Vincent Somebody, who also directed a movie called Cube, which is a horror movie that some people really like, which I've never seen. Um, so I we both read the novella. And when did the novella come out? A few years ago? Twenty. I want to say 2013. Okay. And uh, it is essentially about a, a couple that hears somebody, a lost child in a cornfield while they're kind of driving down. It's not even a cornfield. It's a grass field as they're driving down state. And they get lured into the grass field and mysterious things happen. Uh Fanny read the novella. I saw more of the movie. She saw some of the movie. What did you think of both? Ick. <laughs> I mean, okay, more words than ick and meh, which are my two main feelings. Um, I, I wanted more out of this. I find both Hill and King, when they are on their game, to be very interesting and very scary writers. Uh, I mean, I don't really know what you do to have voices coming from the grass to make it quick and scary, but this just went instantly to bloodletting and weigh a lot of parental triggers. Um, and the movie just seemed boring, and I granted it was late, and I meant to go back, but then when we decided it wasn't going to be our main top topic, I let myself off the hook, and I haven't gone back and watched the rest of it. Uh, there was nothing. I'm not going to say there was nothing wrong with this this not not novella because there was. It was not. It it just wasn't very ambitious. There wasn't. There was the most obvious way to tell the story of creepy things that happen in tall grass in the world, and I think it let down. It's the whole idea of these two main characters who are super connected siblings. It let that relationship down, I felt like. It let the relationship of a mother to her unborn child down. And I think it thought it was going, oh, look, we're going to do what you don't expect us to do. But then it just made, just, it wasn't interesting. What'd you think? I'm right there with you. Um, The novella is very small and slight. Not much happens in it. I think it at least does a better version of being like kind of just horrific and it's um there's a i don't want to go to spoilers for anyone who likes this kind of thing but there is a very kind of to me gut-wrenching kind of gnarly thing that happens in it which the movie also includes but the novella at least the horror of it kind of came through a little more in the movie i was like oh god they're not gonna do oh yeah they did it oh yeah that was stupid like it just the movie had no impact in many ways where at least is that sort of the horrific thing that happens Yes. That's what we're talking about. Okay. Yes. The one, yeah, yeah. okay. And I just no- wanted to make sure. And the novella, um, you know, it it does have a little of that sense of uh, 
you know, what's the guy's name? Lovecraft that everybody loves. Right. And this sort of mysterious black rock that's in there. And right. the figures are di- like, you can't tell if you're seeing things or if they're real. Right. It's sort of this unworldly horror, deadlights. It's all the things he's been knocking off from Lovecraft for years. Yeah. Um, but the movie, I think, especially does not capture that feeling. At no, all. not at all. Not um, and basically by. You know, by the time halfway through the movie, they've covered pretty much everything that's happened in the book. Then they throw in this time travel element, um, which oh, is just... Oh, wow. I'm glad I stayed out of that. Yeah. And and it's really dumb and adds nothing and just basically doubles the runtime for no particular oh. reason. Um, yeah, this was not good. It, I think, like you said, it's meh. It's not horribly made. I've certainly seen worse things. Um, but also, the weird... King, I don't know if this is a hill uh, thing too, but the incest kind of, you're just like, why? Why is this in here? What does this mean? Like, there's basically an implication that in the movie, that in the novella is definitely teased out in way more in the movie, probably even further than you got. Um, But that the brother is definitely at least in love with the sister and is crazy. Um, but, like, why, why? Why? What? I just don't understand. Like, I just feel like there's this thing we talked a little about with It, where, you know, sometimes the treatment of the gay character, it's just sort of like this tawdry thing. Like, he sort of lumps in all of the, like, you know, tawdry things, and I say that with their quotes around it, in the world, is sort of, you know, and it's I, he doesn't go as far as to say that people should be punished, and obviously incest and being gay are very different, but I feel like... He does enough of that where he lumps all that stuff together that it's something about it just makes me queasy. And this did it too. So, um, also, I do not think that Hill has nearly the same fetishizing of those things that that King does. I know what you're talking about. There are certainly articulating it right, but you know, there are certainly themes that he is very interested in that are not exactly kinky but yeah that are would be considered taboo would be considered fetish that interest him yeah and sometimes he takes them too far and it's a little icky and and i get what you're talking about i do not feel like he'll does that nearly the way that yeah i mean i've only read hardship box and i don't remember much there's no siblings in that yeah Yeah. or gay characters are there gay characters no no it's just Um, it's 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 almost a one room thing i mean it's the the main character is the main character there's not a lot I think that his assistant is gay, actually, but I don't remember for sure. And also, just go back and read uh, Children of the Corn. Right, yeah. <laughs> that's, the, that's the whole thing I kept getting yeah. during this. was like, why did you make another Children of the Corn that's less interesting? Um, and that's not even that interesting. So, this, you know, things are yeah. sputtering out when you're remaking that. Uh, what else did you do in pop culture? I watched an HBO documentary called Buzz. This is about Buzz Bissinger. Who, a name. Uh, I know, right? He wrote the original Friday Night Lights book, and uh, he was the co-author of Caitlyn Jenner's autobiography. So, yeah, he's not actually a ghostwriter because he's a well enough. He wrote the Vanity Fair article that launched the the book uh, or interest in the book. This is a ride, you guys. <laughs> it's about his own gender identity it's about his weird shopping addiction and his fetish with leather um i will say he seems to be a very commendable parent and love his sons very much i don't want to say too much because 
it's one of those things that if you just sit down to watch it, it's kind of better if you don't know what's coming. There's not some big shocking reveal or anything, but I just, it's kind of a ride. It's very odd documentary about someone who there's a lot more going on than you think there would be about the guy who wrote Friday Night Lights and his marriage and how he sees himself in the world and lots of gender bending stuff. Anyway, it's very interesting. I would recommend checking it out, but I don't know how to say much more than that. And where can we find it? It's on HBO. Okay. Uh, I'm reading Ninth House by Lee Bardot. It's her first um, adult novel. I mean, why is adult too? But okay, her first marketed as adult novel about Yale and secret societies and really dark, really good, very much enjoying it. And I'm only about 15% in. Please all come join me. Tell me what you're thinking. I really think it's great. And I like the character, even if I don't like her name, which is Galaxy. Let's call her Alex. No, thank you. Don't do this. (laughs) This is not cute. I don't like it. Can you tell us a little more? Like, what is it? So is it, it's horror? It's, it's, I guess technically it would be urban fantasy. um, Because it is set in, in our world and in, at Yale. But there is a whole, and very much in the secret societies of the rich, but there's a whole, like, necromancy and, uh, prophesizing through, you know, like literally knocking people out and checking on their entrails and then putting their entrails back in and putting them off. It's not, it's not super graphic. Um, It's obvious that's what's going on. Her job is she is, they call her the Dante. So she has been recruited from a very sad life to come and watch the secret societies and make sure they are staying within the rules of what they're allowed to do at Yale. And um, (laughs) she is being trained by her Virgil. And uh, her Virgil, you find out the very beginning of whose name is Darlington, has disappeared. And that's about all you know. And she plans at the next moon to try and figure out how to, full moon, try to figure out how to find him. And so it's kind of told in the present and then like six months. So it's Lap, lapping in on itself. What's a Darlington? That's his name. Oh, okay. His name is Darlington. <laughs> it was like, I thought his was name like... is Daniel Arlington, and she calls him Darlington. I thought it was, you know, like necromancers and Darlington. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> it's like the jet sharks and the jets. No, the, her Virgil's name is Darlington. Okay. All right. And, um. Wait, so what's a Virgil? Virgil taught Dante oh, into hell. Got it. Slow in the update. He's the Virgil, today. she's the Dante. Got yes. it. Okay. Um, it plays with a lot of that stuff, and it could be kind of cheesy, and and but it plays well. It's actually okay. it actually works well. She she handles it deftly. Okay, so Prodigal Son, I'm really not happy with you. I did not want to watch your show. I'm so tired of this nonsense of some crappy show putting an actor that I really like and want to support on their show. Sounds like an ex. Yeah, Michael Raymond James. When they come to you with these scripts, think of me. Say, Fanny wouldn't want to watch this show. I can do better than Prodigal Son. I mean, maybe he can't. He hasn't worked in a while. But he's really talented. Michael Raymond James, he was on True Blood in the first season. He was on Terriers, which we all know how I feel about Terriers. I am very upset with this. I right now claim that I am not going to watch this show. We will see if I hold. It's a tentative Knicks. Tentative Knicks. Okay. Because I'm very sad. And That's a full Knicks for shows luring you back in. Yes. You yes. Like. Don't do this to me. <laughs> I, I don't count that much. For, I'm not a Nielsen family. It doesn't matter if I watch your show. Don't fuck with my actors. Don't do that. 
So. All right, should we talk about the laundromat? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, this is a Steven Soderbergh's new movie. It is based on a true story about the Panama Papers. Uh, I'm going to just read a little bit of the Wikipedia page uh, because this is essentially the plot of the movie. And uh, I knew a little bit about it. This is not necessarily a spoiler. It just sort of helps you. I think it's actually good to know this if you go in to see this movie either way. Uh, there are 11.5 million leaked documents that detail financial and attorney-client information for more than 214 1,488 offshore entities. That is a lot of offshore entities. The documents, some dating back to the 1970s, were created by and taken from Panamanian, Panamanian, Panamanian law firm and corporate service provider Mossack Fonseca. Lots of great names in this. And were leaked in 2015 by an anonymous source. Um, so this movie basically casts Meryl Streep as a woman who sort of for unfortunate reasons, gets sort of clued into what's happening here, and she's sort of following some of the trails. It also spins off into sort of side characters. A lot of it is fictionalized, except for the main characters, uh, Gary Oldman and Antonio Banderas, who are sort of guiding you through this, are very loosely based with a silly German accent and all on uh, these actual lawyers who who ran this company. Uh, I think Fanny and I both went into this movie with somewhat low expectations. This thing currently has a 45% on Rotten Tomatoes. What did you think of The Laundromat? I don't understand the 45% rating. I want to know where the curve is on this because this is like one of the best movies I've seen this year. Word. I think it helped that I didn't I didn't even. I knew that I had read about it. I knew that she that Meryl Streep did some sort of investigating into something. I didn't connect that laundromat meant money laundering. I just so it helped that I was like, okay, sure, whatever. It's Saturday afternoon. I don't care. Give me a glass of wine. I'll watch this movie. But it was so funny. The characters were great. It had a interesting way of showing yeah okay it had a soapbox but it was very interesting it was doing a soft soft shoe on top of its soapbox to make you feel like okay i may or may not agree with what you're saying politically but i'm gonna laugh and this is funny the acting was great all of everybody and their brother is in this movie for five seconds and i just i loved it i thought it was smart i thought it was funny i wish that Soderbergh would just do this more often. I I really, really liked it. What'd you think? It is so hard to pull off. I mean, we keep talking about, um, you know, things that are just based on articles, essentially, or real life events. Um, they can be so dry. They can be so, you know, slavish. Like this was very just having fun with a topic that is, a, just not kind of fun in a very, like, you know, it's insurance companies and whatever, but B, like, it's a really horrifying story in so many ways. And the movie you know, has fun with it and kind of just, like, laugh to keep from crying. There's a sense of that throughout the whole movie um, that I really, really liked. I thought the way that uh, the script, um, which I think is by a journalist and not by Soderbergh, I don't think he writes a lot of his movies, pulls together a lot of... Um, you know, stories that probably could have been wrapped up in all of these, and who knows, maybe some of them were. Right, I'm sure they were inspired by... Yeah, Um, and just sort of how that, you know, who those people were and how that worked, and some of them are like 
good people, you know, just doing terrible things because they're just sort of caught in their own bubble. And then there's people like Meryl Streep's character who are just in these horrible situations and trying to sort of figure out some sort of like logic out of it um, and, and getting nowhere. We were talking earlier before the podcast because I was in sort of a crabby mood today about anxiety and it basically being trying to solve an insolvable problem. Right. And this movie is exactly sort of... Yep. laughing at that instead of crying about it right. or getting anxious about it. I thought um, the razzmatazz of this movie was what Hustlers was missing for me. Interesting. The huh. the little bit of funny and the little bit of, you know, it, it didn't take anything away from the, the truth of the matter that this was serious business that was going down, but it knew it was also needed to be entertaining. Yep. And I really thought that was, I thought he did a great job of this with keeping your eye visually interested and I mean I had to take a bathroom break and I really did not want to get up to leave which is does not happen to me that often right. I'm usually like eh, Fanny will fill me in from the two minutes I missed I was like I have to time this <laughs> what you chose am I gonna... a good time yeah, yeah. And I feel like I did a good instinct on that one but um, yeah it's really funny there have been complaints that I've read about Gary Ullman's German accent he's doing a little Werner Herzog it is exactly. all about fraudulence this entire thing is about fraudulence. It becomes very meta without giving too much away. It's got a great sort of uh, creative ending that you know yep. may or may not work on you, but it is a very appropriate for the tone Absolutely. Um, thing. The the there's a kind of directness about it without giving anything away at the end. That how our audience of crazy loud Berkeley women, who by the way you are Nick's crazy loud Berkeley women, <laughs> opening like i don't know like a full like family meal from i don't know where <laughs> someplace that has really really crinkly packaging and, and lots of little packages oh my god all through the movie um but at the end of this movie they cheered they when, did you know there was a point where someone spoke directly to them about how this affects them and what they can and can't do about it and oh. how frustrating it is and um, I appreciate that. It is very much uh, that there's that phrase agitprop, which is just a bougie word. But it's, uh, you know, it's very on the nose about what it thinks. And I can't imagine. It's hard to imagine a human being that would argue with what it's sort of saying. But I guess they're out there. I've met some. Um, but it is, you know, you can't. Yeah, you can't beat around the bush around this stuff. Yeah. It is horrible, horrible stuff. It is the kind of root of so many of our world's problems, um, or, or symbol of so many of our world's problems, maybe. Um, but I was so impressed how well he kind of covered the details of the actual yep. case. And it was, you know, I learned a lot, but it's, right. and I want to learn more, and I've been trying to read a little more about it. But it was funny and... I don't know, just on point. There's not a ton to say, but except I also want Soderbergh to keep making movies like this where his oh. actual heart is in the thing and it's not just some experiment. Yep. Um, and 45%, you next fucking yeah. weirdos that don't. Even, mm. I mean, even if you think this movie is on the nose, it is so well made and so fun to watch that it's like, yeah. I can't imagine somebody being like, don't see that. It was lame. Like, it's yeah. Crazy. No, you're going to enjoy yourself. And it's an hour and 35 yeah, minutes, it people. Along. It's nothing. Yeah. It's no time. We and it's laughing. I feel yes. like I laughed more in this movie than I have in pretty much any oh, other movie. Oh, absolutely. It's one of the funniest movies I've seen. Yeah, no, it's. Uh, which I don't associate Soderbergh with, really. No, me He's either. Not, yeah, no. so. We both really liked this. Expect to see this uh, somewhere on our list at the end. I'm of the year, sure I'm it'll be. Sure. Yeah, I would take a lot to yeah. knock it down out of you know, yeah. out of the contentions. So. Yeah. Um, we did our final testaments read. Mm -hmm. 
we're going to go full spoilers on this. Well, yeah, because it's the end of the book, and yeah. it's you've had three weeks warning. Yeah, so. so if you are reading the Testaments or plan to read the Testaments, Margaret Atwood's follow-up to The Handmaid's Tale, and do not want any spoilers, it is time to bail out. Bye! Uh, we are come back next week. Uh, we'll, we'll try and uh, be a little more. We had a break this week, but we will be back, certainly. Um, so Put out better movies, guys. I know. <laughs> uh, Testaments, what did you think, Fanny? Sorry, I'm making you go first. No, no, that's okay. Um, The farther I get away from finishing this book, which is now about 10 days, the more I feel like I really enjoyed it. I thought it was well written. It was certainly a page turner. I don't think it was that good. And it hurts me to say that. I would go back and read A Handmaid's Tale again. I don't know that I would read this. I'm certainly glad that I know what happened in her brain to to Alfred. And my problem with it was that generally once they got baby Nicole back into Gilead, everything went way too easily. Mm Mm-hmm. There was no roadblocks. There was no, the the heist of it was, okay, now you get on a boat and okay, those guys push you out a little early, but then you get to Canada. And while I really cared about the characters and I thought the voice was good, it just was like these roadblocks of this, you know, road signs of this happens and then this happens and then this happens and then we're back to the Gilead uh, historian thing. Which I was glad they included, and I always find those to be somewhat funny, and you know because they're so stuffy and and the voice is so different. But I don't think this is a bad book. I just don't think it's equal to its older sister or its mother. <laughs> What'd you think? Yeah, I totally agree. I think it's like it's a it's a beach book, yeah. um, and that's not what I think I was expecting or wanting out of a right. sequel to Handmaid's Tale. Um, I mean, I appreciate that it's you know sort of very economic in its language yep. and moves along, and she's got a great sense of pace. But yeah, it didn't build or challenge the ideas in the Handmaid's Tale whatsoever. It was mm-hmm. we keep talking about fan service and you know and Fanny may have thoughts on El Camino because I'm not a breaking bad person, but maybe next week or something. Yeah, I'll we're um, gonna watch it. But. Yeah. It's like everything I'm reading about that is right. Like why did this exist other than to give us an ending to characters that we were wondering about? Right. Um and this was kind of essentially that. I just didn't and yeah, I mean I'm I guess I'm glad I read it, but it just, I, I finished it and I went right on to the next book and it didn't. There was no book hangover for me. And that's the the thing like that. I really know that I've really enjoyed something where I'm like, okay. And I can't decide what to read next or I crack a book and I'm like, nah, this just isn't it because I'm still thinking about the last one. And I didn't enjoy it. I didn't not enjoy it while I was in it. I enjoyed it while I was in it. I liked it. I cared about the characters, but it did not reach out and grab you and scream in your face the way a Handmaid's Tale does. I and also wonder, and this is sort of a follow-up from our conversation last week, like, because she was dissatisfied with some of the, like, torture porn aspects of the show right. that are dragging out this horrendous thing, like, if she felt the need to sort of give it a happy ending, it's, I mean, it's a happy ending, basically. Right. And um, I, I guess that's fine, but, like, there's a part of me that's like, oh... 
part of what's so effective about the show right now, just, I mean, not necessarily like in the later seasons, but just the show as a show and why the book has so much resonance is because we're in this and it doesn't right. necessarily feel like it's going to have a happy ending. And right. It's, and it's certainly our happy ending isn't going to be that easy. Yeah, exactly. You know? I'll go yeah. get on a boat tomorrow and risk my life. If it gets us out on the other side of this, I will. Totally. But it's not going to be that easy. And it, it's this odd little parable you know yep. of oh if this was this little tiny thing that was going wrong and these 50 people and i know that eventually 50 people will be the way that something falls i understand that you know the bigger they get the more small things become but i don't know i didn't dislike it and i still love atwood and i thought the writing was economical and good but it just i didn't it, also totally understand Aunt lydia's motivation by the end no not at all well like, then they didn't she did she didn't go into it did she feel yeah. guilty she obviously didn't want to just survive because she didn't survive yeah. but and but the, they certainly didn't show her being racked with guilt so maybe she was just like well i'm gonna do this before i can get torn apart before i can be tried as a war criminal yeah and this and and i am sorry so i'll set this in motion to make it stop but i don't know i i have no idea because the book didn't tell me yeah and it's, which is enough clues even to get you thinking right, about it. which is different than the ending of the handmaid's tale which again i think is one of it's one of the few perfect things in the world is her stepping on to that and then you as the reader is do you think she makes it or do you think she's not and you really get to decide and there so give me enough clues about Aunt Lydia to decide why she did what she did. Don't You don't have to spell it out for me, but give me enough. And I just don't feel like she did. And I didn't not read it well. I, you know, it's, there's not a lot to it. Yeah. Agreed. I'm disappointed. I did enjoy it. I'm disappointed that it was not more than what it was. Yeah. Have you guys read The Testaments? You can talk to us at facebook uh the nicks podcast group um you can also email us at motionnicks at gmail.com or you can tweet at us at the nicks podcast i am at justin hartung on twitter i'm at fanny v darling we'll see you next week bye